Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is for sales enablement leaders looking to elevate their function, expand their sphere of influence, and increase the span of control within their companies. Together, Brian and I have worked on over 100 different kinds of sales enablement initiatives as analysts, consultants, or practitioners. We've learned the hard way, what works, and maybe what's more important, what doesn't. Our focus is on you as sales enablement leaders and orchestrators. As a sales enablement orchestrator, you need to develop specific skills to blend both strategy and tactics together to help your company succeed. As you work across the sales and marketing, you're also bringing together a lot of different inputs and you're turning those inputs into value for your company. As usual, we have a centering story. Scott, what do you have for us today? So our centering story goes way, 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 way back. <laughs> Usually when you our... say that, it doesn't, isn't that far, by the way. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> when you add all the emphasis, you blow it that it's not that far back. Hmm. <laughs> We have the benefit of actually knowing what the story is because I'm including you on this one. So that's a little unfair. Uh, I'm, but I'm using about, the fact that I'm not in the dark this time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, uh, so we've, we've had stories that go way back as uh, re- remember around uh, BC period. Mm-hmm, yeah. BC when we talked about uh, the invention of improv. That's right. So that's how far back we've gone. So this time we're going all the way back to episode six. If you haven't, <laughs> episode six of our actual podcast. So how modern are we getting here? Uh, so if you haven't, if you haven't listened to episode six, you probably should do it. It's uh, we published this in, in June of 2019, and there's actually a, a, a funny story about that. What prompted us to do this episode was a call that I made to you, uh, Brian Lambert, of when I was in Atlanta. What was that call like? <laughs> That's right. You called me and you're like, guess where I'm, I'm just leaving this meeting. And first you had some sort of travel disaster you went through because I think there was some sort of major issue and the meeting had to start without you or something. And then you I went think through- our guest might have some comments on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then uh, you went to you were telling me about this guy who was like, you're not going to believe this, uh, Brian. You got Lambert. You have this guy who brings who brings us all in. We're, we're going through this idea of his charter. And then he actually, at the end of this meeting, get this, he briefs and brings in his executive team to do the readout. And that's what this two-day meeting was about. How awesome is that, that this guy would put his um, you know, team through this? And this is a, a group of people that actually was coming together for the conference board. It wasn't even his team. That's and right. You were, so- you were just super jazzed up about it. I, I am always. So if anybody, if any of our listeners has... Um a idea to tackle something different out of the box, call me and I'll get in the foxhole with you because I just love anybody who does that. And our special guest, this is the guy, we'll talk about who he is in a second. I was the, uh, the, the program director, whatever you call it, for the, for the conference board. 
And for those who don't know, the conference board's a hundred and X, uh, hundred and six year old uh, organization. Uh, it's actually the organization that came up with the forty day, forty hour work week. That's that's a true story. It got uh, labor and uh, management together in the during the industrial revolution, and ever since then has been creating these councils. And that's how I met our guest, this guy. His name's Brian King, and he was one of the members. And we were having a meeting, I think it was at Tiffany's. We literally had breakfast two days at, at Tiffany's, Brian and I, right? That's right, Brian, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were able to have breakfast at Tiffany's. Every, everyone's dream. Yes, exactly. Um, so we were, at, we were having our meeting at Tiffany's, and we, um, we had the situation where we had everybody present out what their, what their sales enablement um, charter would be if we were on CNBC. And it didn't go well, so we realized we needed to work on our, our messaging. And said so we've got to adopt this idea of a business with our business. So Brian King goes, well, I'll do that. That makes sense. I'll do that. So we decided on the spot, you know, little did we know, why don't we have our next meeting, our next conference board meeting at, in Atlanta, at International uh, Intercontinental Hotels Group uh, in Atlanta. So they uh, a big um, hospitality company. And what we're going to do is we're going to put all of us on the spot and create an agenda where we're going to provide a readout for his executives. Now, how cool is that? I yeah, think, that's amazing. That's cool. I think it's I think it's the coolest thing. So anybody who's got the, the, the stones to be able to pull that off is immediately going to be somebody that I idolize. And we have that person now with us, uh, Brian King. So Brian, uh, tell us a little bit about that story and, you know, pick us up and what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, well, uh, thanks. It's great to join uh, both you gentlemen today. Always have a great time chatting with you, with you both. Um, and talking about sales and commercial enablement. Um, that, that meeting was so interesting because we had pulled together um, a considerable number of, of corporate executive board members. They all came to Atlanta. We sat in our boardroom, and for two days, we talked through um, challenges around value propositions for sales, for sellers, about our product and our product at Intercontinental Hotels at that point in time was our brands. So everything from a Kimpton to a Holiday Inn to, um, uh, to an Intercontinental um, across our, our brand categories. And why um, our sellers who sell to the, in the B2B space, so they would sell to the IBMs, the Cisco's, the Coca-Colas, et cetera in order to get their business travel as well as their, their groups and their meetings into our hotels. And so we spent a lot of time really kind of focused on value propositions as well as loyalty. And we, um, as a sales organization, had a kind of working knowledge of what, what our ideas were, but we wanted to have loyalty and brands come and join us in the room and listen to what other corporate uh, executive board members like, um, like Ernst & Young and Tiffany and Microsoft and 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 a really exceptional group of, of um, sales leaders and listen to what they think about these value propositions and where we were going with, with loyalty. Anyway, long story short, um, that room represented over half a billion dollars worth of business travel 
So a great opportunity for our executives to get in front of the, those groups who travel most, predominantly salespeople, these are all sales leaders, um, and really kind of work through um, the, the output of that session. And it was, it was a phenomenal session. I think everyone who participated was great, but it showed something. It showed it cast a light on um, this idea that you guys have been talking about with the insider nation around productitis. You know, that real belief that the features and the functions of the product, which in this case is a hotel, um, really have more meaning or more value for how our customers, um, for what our customers experience than, than what the sales relationship is really providing. And so um, I'd really say that those executives kind of came in and they nodded their heads, they listened, and then they exited stage left. And um, when you say those executives, you mean the executives within IHG? Correct. Right. That's correct. Yeah. I think it was the guy who ran loyalty and then um, two of the brand leaders who ran upscale brands or whatever it was. And it was a it was a, a an eye opening experience for me. It was an eye opening experience for the team of people that I had brought in that were on my team, whether it was B two B marketing or the sales enablement teams. And then we actually had sellers come in as well, and sellers who were actually aligned to the accounts that were represented in the room. So um, a, a great a great experience and um, a great learning for me on on a lot of different levels. So Brian, I'm getting fired up uh, uh, because you're making me remember, uh, and I know you're holding me at gunpoint making me remember, right? Like it's, yeah. but yeah. I am remembering uh, that situation. We should probably do a whole podcast just on that, like go through each part, uh, how um, people in loyalty just kept asking questions about loyalty and how it didn't connect at all with the, like, yeah, they wanted to have yeah, they wanted to have a points conversation. And right. What are you talking about? What do you mean? What are you, t- what yeah. are you talking about here? Yeah. yeah, and there's a couple of things on this. Like, there's the whole idea of just bringing these folks together, which I think a lot of our listeners would be intrigued by. Like, how did you actually pull that off? And then there's the what happened in the room. Yeah. You guys are talking yeah. about. Yeah, there's and a there's, whole and, bunch. There's, and there's also, it would probably be even great to have one of the other attendees come to it, too, because I think there were two perspectives of the folks who came in the room. There was... Hey, I'm I'm coming. I'm gonna help Brian, but I actually have the same challenges that Brian's got with value propositions or with let's call it loyalty or retention of um, our clients or or what have you. And so I can wrap my head around me helping Brian is actually helping myself. And then there were other folks in the room who were like, "No one sent me the memo on this, or I didn't understand what's happening. I'm just here helping Brian. Like I I really would prefer to maybe engage in a different way." In, in this. So I think there are there are so many different perspectives and layers of how that meeting went down that, yeah, we could totally do an entire. Uh, so, all right, well, let's do this. We're going to call out. So we're going to, we're going to, um, I'll reach out to Greg and Samir. Yeah. And let's try to recreate that, that magic um, a year later <laughs> and, okay. see, and see what happens. But, um, the purpose of this is, uh, is is your reactions to the last of our commercial uh, commercial enablement webinar series. Before we get into that, can you introduce and, and uh, tell folks about uh, how you ran or run run sales enablement? A little bit about your department, your your game plan, and how you did it. 
Yeah, so um, I, um, in my last position, which, which was with IHG, which I left about a year ago, um, I ran global sales operations and enablement. I want to hold and, a qualify. Wait, before we do that, I want to mention a qualifier here. There is no correlation between Brian leaving and this meeting <laughs> that we had. I just want to make sure that correlation doesn't exist. There's other factors. Go on. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. Um, and so I came into the organization and I was running strategic accounts and I had um, some other aspects to my role. And, um, you know, the, the, the system was broken. The, um, the dots were not being connected on the inside of from everything from analytics to operations to process to engagement with legal and other business partners. Um, the technology that was there was fragmented. We had over 29 different pro technology products that we used in, this, in the world of sales, which was bizarre to me. And um, ultimately what um, I did is I ended up taking an internal position because I wanted to help kind of sort, to sort all of that out. And in doing that, we had to centralize specific parts of, the team, of teams where maybe analytics had been regionalized for you know, greater China and for the Americas or Europe. Um, it was really bringing all of those together as um, centers of excellence, which I, I'm not really a fan of that term, but um, who says you're excellent? <laughs> so I, um, I, I would do bring by self-labeling. Yeah, I mean, I, I could break it's my own arm. It's kind of exercise, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but but really centralizing a lot of these functions that were had been fragmented for a long period of time. So the team grew to um, about 200 people across eight different countries. Um, that really was set to enable. The, the global sales organization. And we developed a um, really a vision statement um, with the leaders as I brought all, everyone together. I said, well, what is our purpose? What is our mission here? And we, we said, you know, it's, it's really to unlock the value of sales. So when you guys talk about value and you know, clar clarifying value and how that's really not rocket science, it, it, you're right, it doesn't have to be. And what we did is we made sure everyone could see themselves in that mantra every single day. That regardless of whether they were working in the technology area or if they were working in operations or effectiveness or training or you name it, they were they were all contributing to unlocking that value so that our salespeople could do what they needed to do best. So uh, and help simplify and make things seller ready for um, the sales teams because we had so many different parts of the organization burdening them with their own agendas. And we kind of became this stopgap to prevent that from happening and would design and simplify in order to help release that burden from salespeople and reduce the, the workflow, reduce the number of approvals, reduce the reduce all of the internal stuff that our customers don't care about because they, they, they don't need to hear from the salesperson it's gonna take another week and a half to get the contract when they're waiting for it. The holdup is on our end, we should be able to, to move at a much more agile pace. So anyway, so we, we had that organization, built that out, um, and I really aligned each of my direct reports to their, to their most relevant uh, business partner in the organization, whether it was finance or IT or HR, uh, well, like HR for, for training and effectiveness and talent, um, 
for, for, for all of our technology with IT, it was our product management teams, uh, et cetera. So, um, and as we've created those partnerships, a lot of the, the business partners were like, well, wait a minute, why are you doing training and sales when we have a training and learning department? We, we feel like you're kind of getting in our space. And we spent a lot of time saying, actually, we, we can do this together. And this was really when orchestrating things really started for us. We can actually bring this together. You can still have a role in all of this, but we're the subject matter experts in sales. You're the subject matter experts in adult learning. Let's actually combine those two things and figure out how we do this together and weave our agendas, um, our priorities in together. And we did that across a number of fronts. So when I met Scott, um, it was through that corporate executive board. And I thought, I thought our organization was kind of like the last to the party on this. <laughs> and so when I first met Scott, I was very, um, I was kind of quiet in terms of what we have been able to accomplish at IHG and, and this concept of orchestration hadn't really come to the forefront yet in my mind on, well, that's what we were doing. And Scott would talk about this, what did you call it? Your, your uh, unconscious, Conscious competence. Yes. And every time I would talk about some of it, you'd say, well, there's, there's that unconscious competence. And so um, it became more and more evident that what we were doing was really starting to orchestrate the enterprise around how to more effectively enable salespeople at every step of the buying journey. And, um, and, that's, and that's, that's just a little bit about what I, what I was doing at IHG. Um, and so I guess I have to say, um, you know, in thinking about this good to, to customer webinar that, that we just went through. Or yeah, let me, let me introduce oh. that, that topic, give some uh, space. So okay. as a listener, sort of digest that. I want you to sort of imagine this is what Brian's doing. This is how he's running in his organization, help you level set about uh, the scope and scale of what he's working on. Uh, so I asked, uh, I asked Brian, hey, you want to do a podcast and react to our go-to-customer uh, webinar? So as you know, we've, we've asked other people to do that. So I don't know anything. He, he may hate it. I have no idea. <laughs> so I'm hopeful he, does, he doesn't hate it. But I asked him to come up with three thoughts. Uh, but I think it's important that you as a listener have a, a frame of reference of where he's, where he's coming from. Yeah, thank you. Um, so the first thing is, wow, you've got a lot that goes on in this webinar. And so uh, to the insider nation, if you have not listened or watched or taken copious notes on basically the growth enablement webinar series, this, this COVID series that you guys have produced, you and Brian, um, I strongly recommend blocking out several spots on your calendar to take time to listen to these. Uh, they're invaluable, I, and I wish I would have had these types of educational opportunities and the connection to someone like Scott to be able to, to, to understand more versus kind of cobbling things together on my own. Um, I think you've got really delivered something that's, um, that's invaluable and very interconnected. And what I love about the series is that it's really a holistic series. And what I mean by that is you've got concepts and frameworks that you unpack in each one of these webinars and all of them have some level of application um, to help solve really kind of full challenges that I think 
sales enablement, depending on where you are as you know, as a listener or your company, where sales enablement is today. And um, I think the first time that we've had some some conversation around where sales enablement going is when you did the um, the surveys, and we we had some some great chats about that. This to me helps outline a, a path forward for sales enablement leaders to understand kind of where they can go. And where we are today in this point in the year, most companies should be in, a, in the latter phases of planning for next year, for 2021, whatever that kind of looks like, given really the current environment. But um, I think these webinars, you can offer a really practical guide to some of um, your priorities next year, depending on what part of enablement you're sitting in. So yeah, I, uh, first and foremost, I think that you've just done a great job with the entire piece. This go to customer one really, really brings it all together. And so um, for me, it was great to go back and there was one or two that I didn't listen to. Um, but after listening to the last one, I, th I thought I, I was going to do a disservice to myself basically by not, by not finishing the series to, to listen to this one. Um, this concept of sales is simple and simple is hard. Has got to be. I would love to have it tattooed on my chest or uh, wear it in some kind of way because um, it can seem insurmountable to take a commercial system that is broken and slowly find ways to put it together and streamline it. And so, one of the the things that you mentioned in in this webinar is really the amount of time it's going to take. And so, there's not a you know quick pill that you take and suddenly you take the red pill, the blue pill, and then you're on your way to orchestration. It's, it is like a, a year and a half, two year, maybe even longer journey. Um, but there's, you've given kind of a, a, a way for people to choose their own adventure and how they do that with what these webinars give. Um, so there are a couple of things I wanted to talk about. And if I talk too much, you can just interrupt me at any time. Um, but one is this idea, you, you kick this webinar off with this change blindness. And I've never heard anybody talk about it in that way. And when I think about the way you ended the webinar, it's really about orchestration and what are the characteristics of, orchest of orchestrators. And to me, there's this polarization. If you've got change blindness and you're sitting in a sales enablement position, you're not going to be one of the orchestrators. If you've got change blindness in your in your leadership team, your, your job is becoming it will be that much harder to help articulate what orchestration and the value of orchestration really has um, to your leadership team or to the stakeholders that you will have to engage with the most. Um, I mean, I've seen it work and 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 i've saw uh, we i struggled with it when i was at ihg um the change blindness aspect when i was trying to start with some of the orchestration um i see it now with some of my clients where you've got the one individual who wants to help orchestrate and simplify and streamline um and that change blindness is a real it's a real roadblock and so there may be an opportunity to really kind of dig into at some point, how do you overcome that with your leadership team or with with other key stakeholders? Because to me, you know, are we still in a place where people don't think change is happening? Because it's happening constantly. I mean, if we look at what's happened just because of COVID, 
and the fact that I think McKinsey came out with a study three months after COVID and said, from a digital point of view, we've we, in 90 days, we've grown nine years in the digital space. So I almost feel like if if you if you have a leadership team or you've got folks in your organization who um, aren't keen to change, there's they're going to be left behind. Does that make sense? It it does make sense. So first of all, thank you. I think that that idea that the change blindness, why do you think that that happens and why do folks get so rigid? I know that, for example, when I've tried to bring up the impact of digital transformation, right, the digital economy yeah. in some places, people go, yeah, I know that. But they literally are behaving the same way they've always behaved. And it's like, well, if you know that, then why aren't your, why aren't your behaviors changed? Why aren't you matching the behaviors? Or do you just think digital transformation is just interchangeable words with business synergy or some other uh, some other business buzzword. Why do you think that is? Um, I, you know, I like to think that, you know, the, the term digital strategy and digital transformation, those things have been around for a while and people just merely think of it as, oh, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll use the hospitality example. Okay, we have a mobile app, that's digital, check got the website, okay, people can book online, check, and it works. We have all the social channels, check. Okay, so what else is there? And I think that there's a, a complacency that sits with the digital side of things or with, yeah, we're doing that. And the reality is, well, how are you advancing it? How are you taking it forward? What is the mission for it and what is the goal? How are you going to achieve that piece? I don't necessarily think people take the time to think that because they'll go, oh, we've got a team. It's the digital team. They're over there. They do it. So yeah, we're, we're on it. Yes, and I think there's um, there's something really related here to why are we so far away from our customers? And then if we if we would say that inside our companies, we probably have our heads taken off. What do you mean? Of course we know our customers. Look at all the yeah. survey data we've got. But what's their actual experience that they're having with us? Eh, experience, that's touchy-feely stuff. Well, it kind of isn't. So how, how, do we, how do we wrestle with um, all the data, all the certainty, all the absolutes, and how do we elevate that in, in a way to I don't know, I guess simplifying and because, uh, you know, markets don't write checks, customers do. How do right. we know about the customers? And how do we know which, how do we align the right selling activities to the customer's preferred channel? And, you know, with, with where we've come this year, I feel like there's just gonna be such a rise of interaction in the digital space that will lead to more interdependence of people and process and technology that takes these traditional sales models and kind of topples the the, um, the conventional way of thinking about sales. And I don't think there are a lot of sales organizations who will be prepared for that. Yeah, so I think one, one uh, you might have other topics we want to get into, but I think uh, in in the interest of uh, plugging new shows that we should work on, 
one of the people that I had to talk to immediately after learning about IHG and yeah. specifically how complex it is selling to an enterprise, like the B2B selling of, of hotels and hotel rooms and hospitality is a lot more complex than uh, I think a lot of our listeners would think. But the person that popped in my mind is Lindsay. So Lindsay Gore has been on our show. She's a, she's a friend of mine. She's a, she's a, a strategic account executive at Microsoft. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't get out of my head how similar the business model at IHG is to where Microsoft's going with uh, subscriptions, cloud, and things like that. So maybe what we can do in the interest of uh, unpacking this uh, change blindness part, let's also maybe celebrate how similar we, some of our businesses really are that we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have thought of. Maybe we can get Lindsay on uh, with you, and maybe we can find some of your uh, some of your salespeople and say, "Hey, here's a here's an IHG strategic account person. Here's what she does. Here's a Microsoft strategic account person. Here's what she does. Guess what? They're literally doing the exact same things, yeah. like uh, almost identical, and yet we're treating them like they're radically, radically, radically different because we have so much detail." that we're um, getting in, in the way of what that customer experience looks like. Maybe that would be something cool we could do. Yeah, I like that. Awesome. So we talked about change blindness. We talked about uh, the over series. Did you have other, you know, two other? Yeah, you know, I, want, I, 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 love, this, um, I love this idea of productitis. And when, when I first saw it, uh, or when we actually first started talking about it, I thought to myself, are we still there? Is the world still in a place where we're just pushing features and functionality? Um, and we're not talking about value or benefits or the challenges that we're, we're trying to solve. And our salespeople still kind of just showing up and saying, here's the widget, it's purple, uh, it, it spins, <laughs> it does these things, but you want it. Um, and you, you put some great metrics up in, in this webinar, talk, really kind of talking about the exact same things that I remember when I was first coming up in sales, you know, that you really want to, that executives want a salesperson who understands their business. They want you to be knowledgeable on your industry and your trends. I always looked at it as you need to be a student of the client's business and you're constantly studying what's coming, what's happening, where, where it's going. And you play follow the money inside of their business, where, where are the strategic priorities being placed and how, how can you get into, um, um, a position where you're able to actively listen, understand client issues, and then you figure out, okay, how do I now work through what the sales point of view is going to be um, in this instance. I had dinner last night with a, um, a vice president of sales and hospitality for a different company, and she was um, on a call with one of her salespeople with a client, and um, instead of kind of doing the sales pitch, the VP of sales was just like, tell us a little bit more about your priorities and what it is and, and how you're being measured throughout this year or even for next year versus going through and saying, okay, we want to start to have this conversation about RFPs for negotiated rates at all these hotels. And I mean, I've, I've helped put together and launch various types of training um, and educational opportunities for sellers to really level up those sales skills. But why is it that salespeople keep going back to just or just selling the, the widget? 
I feel like it's kind of the same. It's happened over and over and over again. And the world doesn't seem to evolve to say, oh, I really should sell value. You know, yeah. I actually had someone say to me the other day, we should put a pricing sheet together for some of the things that we're putting together. And I said, absolutely not. Why would we put a pricing sheet together? Pricing will depend on what we're trying to achieve and the value of what that achievement will look like. Well, so if, if you grow up, uh, say, in Georgia, I mean, you live in Atlanta now. Yeah. Uh, if you grow up in Georgia, you're going to develop an accent. Yeah. And if you're in a company and it's got a lot of go-to-market motions and they check the boxes and come up with strategies about, look how great our products are, so, uh, you're going to develop that dialect. So you can go to all the schooling in, uh, that, that you want to, once you start having a few drinks, guess what? That twang's going to come out. Yeah. Uh, and I think that uh, what we don't even have is the the, the skills to re, to refine that because all full all full on the marketing department, finance department, executive management they want to know updates of how are we selling our product line, how are we selling this product or that widget. So it in if it infects the entire ecosystem. And if we try to blame it on the salespeople and like, let's overtrain them and keep training them, that's great. We can, t we can train you all you want to that, uh, to, to the pe to people in Boston, you sound silly with your Southern accent. Um, it just, it's just not going to click. Uh, they're just Yankees, you know, what, what, whatever the case is, it's just not going to click. And that's, that's really the, the premise behind introducing productitis. It's something that if, if, infects the entire organization and because we've gotten so good at measuring things that maybe don't matter back to that simplicity part yeah i think the problem is worse not better and i don't think it's as much the salespeople's fault it's just all these words all these things all these forms that people need to fill out they're about products and they're about metrics and they're about stuff that the speeds, the feeds, the color blue, check box here if they want blue or they want red. All of that stuff is, um, it's conditioned. Yeah, you know, I, I think about the, the fact that when I was considered a buyer, because um, we all are at some point, right? You, if you had the, you had to understand my, my business, even really to be in the consideration set. And if you ended up getting a meeting with me, it would, I would want to assume that you already had a working knowledge of what my business priorities or goals were. So we weren't going to kick off a conversation with those types of questions. Um, because to me, a seller networks the teams in the building as a being a student of the business to understand exactly what's the best way to position. And if you didn't know anything about my priorities or goals, our meetings wouldn't go very far. And sellers need have to, have to do so much um, to identify the right relationships, the right approaches, really to swim upstream in a decision-making process, to be part of helping shape the agenda, be part of priority setting where maybe their solutions are a part of that, um, which to me is why that commercial system has got to support the seller. And you, you highlight those three different groups, those three um, areas of the customer environment, the Salesforce environment, and the company environment. And all three of those, I mean, the weight that we're putting on salespeople 
just becomes, um, it's, just, it's just too much. I mean, they can't do all of the things that I would expect them to do if you, they were coming in to, to pitch me on something. Because of the number of problems, the number of vendors, the number of stakeholders, the accountability or the upscaling, the administrative burden, you name it, there's, there's just a lot that gets, that gets put on people. And that productitis is a real thing. And, and by the way, you have this one slide in your webinar that I think you should turn into a, a diagnostic or a diagnosis that um, you could give to a client or, or you know, any of the insiders here could go and take from, um, from the, the webinar and they could have a very um, honest, authentic conversation with their leadership about how they score themselves would be a very sobering activity uh, for sales team leaders, for VPs of sales really to go through in conjunction with their products and their marketing teams. Um, I'm not sure if you know the slide I'm talking about, but it's got, um, are you market focused or customer focused? Is that the one that had the, the one like red dots down the middle? The dots, one of the yeah. five, five dots, got yeah. it. I mean, you can easily turn that into a diagnostic because that would be something if I were, uh, as an insider, I would take that out of the webinar and use as a very practical tool to start to have a dialogue about who are we? Are we looking for our markets to cut checks? Well, they, they can, customers do. So how are we going to be honest about ourselves and have that kind of moment and then have some kind of scoring and then, okay, well, where do we need to start? Maybe this becomes a, a starting point. Um, we were we were actually talking with um, so Brooke Spatz is uh, is is with Omnitrax and she had a similar thought. She wanted to turn it into something lightweight, and I, I think we we got to a and you you're probably if you're listening to this show you're going to say what are you talking about? But Brian King is going to know exactly how I how we would arrive here. But but making it like a Cosmo um, sort of lightweight check because. If it's too heavy, people tune out and they get too scared. But sort of like, um, you know, uh, here are five signs that uh, um, your wife's about to leave you. Here are five signs your customer's about to leave you. Yeah. Make it a little more uh, digestible and lightweight so that people don't um, consume don't, it with that degree of weight. You don't want to scare people with it, but you definitely want them to, to understand the gravity of what it the difference between the two. Yeah, and I think this is part of the difficulty. I, I'm glad that you brought up the change blindness part. One of the things that's difficult to have these conversations is to create the environment to actually just have the conversation. I think a lot of people know things are broken, but they're so confused, they don't want to admit it. So that's why they'll yell at you and they'll just prescribe more stuff to go do. Right. Uh, but that just makes things worse. Yep. So part of the art form that uh, orchestrators and training enablement professionals inside our nation that you have to develop is you have to develop the right kinds of skills on how to bring it up. So uh, when Brian King mentions an assessment, part of what we're talking about here is what's the bedside manner that goes with that um, goes with that assessment. You don't want to just do an assessment and go, oh my gosh, you've got stage four productitis, you're about to die. Uh, that's that's a little heavy, right? So yeah. how, how do we how do, how do we bring those conversations up to where people feel 
comfortable to engage with uh, other stakeholders because it's not just going to be on the sales organization. It's going to be the marketing organization. You're going to have to include product. You're going to have to include finance probably. Yeah, got to be okay with that. You got to be okay to include other groups. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're just doing it as, as a silo in sales, you'll never get anywhere with it. But you, you really need to bring the other groups along. Um, and, you know, I feel like sales leaders could handle it. I feel like they could hold a mirror up to themselves. Totally. I, I, I don't think the marketing nope. or brand teams or product or you know, others would be um, as, as, um, as open to it. So it, 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 to give you some data to back that up, we have a friend, uh, a friend of the show, Catherine Schaub, who just recently, uh, she just recently retired from IDC. Uh, so now I feel okay telling some of these stories. She worked for uh, IDC and did a lot of research around CMOs. Her and I, uh, I, I she was a client of mine when she was at, at Sybase. And um, one of the things that was interesting was she's she's with us. She's in the in the crowd of work backwards for customers. So she put together some uh, some research, presented it with CMOs, and she she was dumbfounded by how much resistance CMOs of large companies just sort of dismissed her research, just dismissed it, like wouldn't even talk about it. So that's that's but it starts but it starts from the customer, right? Right. <laughs> like it starts from the customer. It's all about the customer's viewpoint of their interactions with sellers, which they engage with, their uh, opinions of brands, they disengaged, just not talking about it anymore. She said only about 20, 25% really understood the impl implications of her data. So I, I think that the, the, the point here that, that we're bringing up is, yes, it's good to have assessments, we just have to have ways to bring it up, bring up the conversation. Because if, if people are going to just put their heads, fingers in their in their ears, and nah, 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 I'm not talking to you. All you're going to do is be frustrated talking about your buyer journey mapping and all that other stuff. It ain't going anywhere. Well, I mean, I, I love I loved it because it 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 is a um, it can be kind of a cornerstone piece to how you can confront that change blindness. And I think change enablement, change enablement, sales enablement leaders need, need sometimes the permission to have these kinds of conversations um, with their leaders and with leaders across the, their enterprise. And that's not always a simple thing to be able to get. Um, so I think having something like that could, could be a way for that kind of conversation to start. Awesome. So topic number one was change blindness. Topic number two, productitis. What's topic number three? And then we'll uh, move to wrap up and let uh, Brian Lambert uh, summarize and follow along with uh, what orchestrators should be processing. Um, the last part really is you have sharpened the pencil on who orchestrators are and, and what their characteristics look like. And they are change agents. So, you know, we start with change blindness. These folks are, you know, they've, they've got their eyes wide open um, and they need to be goal oriented. And I'm so happy that that is one of the very first ones, our very first um, items that you talk about of who orchestrator leaders are. Um, because well, Brian, let me interrupt you here. The reason that, uh, where, where did that list come from? Uh, 
I listened back and forth to the replay of the panel conversation with you, Greg, and Samir over and over and over again. And I wrote down the notes. And then Brian Lambert did the same. We compared notes and we got people to talk about it. And we asked other people to listen to it and, and, and share the feedback. So, you know, the point is that was a lot of it was based on y'all's panel to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember well, that resonates with you. <laughs> I, I remember that's well, then I'm glad. I'm glad it still resonates with me because I, I do remember talking a little bit about uh, goal oriented versus results oriented and that there's a big difference there. And orchestrators are the ones who see the big picture. They're the ones who see the connectivity between different organizations and they can kind of see these dotted lines or lines that create how would these how would i need to op what kind of operating model do i need to extend into other parts of the business so that i can you know accomplish the things that we need to do and, and really orchestrate the way that we need to do and so um i I'm, i was just really happy to see that as like clear number one um i think all of the characteristic traits here are really embody what an orchestrator is about um, I think what's interesting then is what, how do people start to achieve these areas in their own self-development? And what are the ways that um, aspiring orchestrators or orchestrators in training or inside uh, any of the insiders, what's the right way for them to start really kind of thinking through how to accomplish and, and demonstrate these types of characteristics? And a lot of it is experience, right? And but I think it has to be, um, what's the word I wanted to use here? It has to be um, evaluated experience. And evaluated experience means I, I wanna make sure I've debriefed with myself and with others what the experiences that I've had when I've tried to drive results by design and not effort. And I only, only in my point of view, only evaluated experience has meaning going forward. Because we all have experience. Everybody's got experience. My experience waking up this morning, that was great. Good for me. <laughs> but, I, but evaluated experience is one where you've, you've really taken the time to deconstruct. How did, how did that thing, how did that activity or that relationship or that connection actually work? So, the, um, so I was just really happy to see mission and goal focused as, really, as number one, because I think that's critical in terms of seeing the big picture. Now, the, the next takeaway for me is great. We've got six fantastic um, criteria or characteristics of what orchestrator uh, leaders really embody. So to me, it's how does an orchestrator in training, someone who uh, is in sales enablement, aspiring to be an orchestrator, how do they start to really um, know that they're embodying these very specific uh, characteristic traits? And so, in that, I think that there's experience, and most people would say, yeah, my experience, that's what I'm, I'm gonna use my experience to show that I'm able to unlock energy and create momentum, or I can catalyze change through through collaboration. But um, to me, the, the, there's a big difference between experience, um, because everyone has them, everyone has experiences. I woke up this morning, that was my experience, I got out of bed, it was great, I had breakfast. Um, but it's really evaluated experience in, in these types of, of issue or these types of challenges that you're solving across the company to create um, outcomes. And so you have to take a look and, and basically 
deconstruct how you prioritize the right goals at the right moments, because there is evaluate, there's an evaluation of exactly how you were successful in that what, and, and, and your ability to say it was the right moment. Or when you're guiding the narrative by confronting reality, you know, after you've executed that and you've confronted that reality, you have to go back and evaluate the experience that you've just gone through to then be able to either teach it to the people who work for you, teach it to other people who are interested to see how and why you're so effective at what you do. Um, I, my, my point really is most people can say, I would just use my experience. To me, you can't. You actually have to have an evaluated experience because that is the only time that you really can un unearth the nuggets that made you successful in those various specific characteristic traits. Um, and so those, that's, that's really kind of my last um, key takeaway is, is I really love the orchestrator concept of the orchestrator um, characteristic traits, productitis, and, and I know that orchestrators will only be successful if they can confront change blindness. Excellent. That's fantastic. So thank you so much for 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 doing that. Um, what uh, before we turn it over to Brian Lambert to wrap up? What advice would you give somebody who? Uh, and, and what I'm what I'm asking you to think about, Brian King, is imagine the the people who were in the uh, sales enablement community with the conference board. Imagine your peers. What would you tell them about what's important to becoming an orchestrator? How do you go about getting there and is it worth it? I would tell them it's worth it because, you know, for me, I always want, um, I, I've always wanted to create change in the lives of others, whether that's personal or professional. And if I could, can, optimize and simplify a commercial system that empowers and enables a seller to achieve what they want to achieve without having productitis and all these other issues, then to me, it's worth it. Um, and that becoming an orchestrator is, is more just about influence than it is about control and people will if you have these characteristic traits around being mission and goal focused and confronting reality and driving for results by design and not through effort and, and, and the others that you've listed um people will want to be a part of what you're doing it, people will naturally gravitate to where you're trying to take things and they want to be a part of that type of a journey so the, that's really the, 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 guide, the guidance I would give is if you have the capability and the, the know-how to manifest these types of characteristic traits from an orchestration point of view, then you have the opportunity to lead in a way that corporate America is lacking at the moment. And, and that to me is exciting leadership than anything else. Because I think the best leaders give the best and they get the best. And those people who want to be a part of the best thing they possibly can within their company. Awesome. Thank you so much. Insider Nation.
And that's some great advice for for everybody else. Brian Lambert, why don't you summarize up what are the key takeaways against the same scorecard that we've been using all along? And um, highlight what the thoughts are. Recap our, our session today. Yeah. Thanks so much, Brian, for joining us. I the the recap you did on orchestrators was was awesome and i like the criteria that you used there i'm going to use the same ones and and, and focus in on base, basically a, a quick run through so you talked about change blindness productitis and orchestrators as change agents as your top three uh, takeaways and um you know you started with this idea that change is happening constantly and that quote around in in the last uh, 90 days uh, there's been a almost a nine year advance. I think that was from McKinsey. Talk about, um, you know, that attribute there of confronting reality. And uh, that I think launched the discussion because one of the orchestrator attributes is uh, confronting reality, guiding narrative by confronting reality. And uh, I, I talked to a, uh, a, a company a while ago, about two weeks ago, and they're still using last year's data. They haven't quite figured out that the whole world has changed, for example. So talk about uh, confronting reality there. That was a great quote. And then uh, this idea of executing in the short term, but thinking long term by by design, not by effort. Uh, that was a great point around that. And then you talked about, you know, it's a bit of a head scratcher around this idea of still being uh, in having productitis. Just so much productitis that you see. It's like unconscious competence to you. Why isn't everybody doing this? And I think when we pivoted to this discussion around how do we help sales enablement leaders orchestrate and catalyze change through collaboration, um, that unlocked a lot of the conversation, especially around why people might be rigid or uh, a little bit apprehensive about engaging in the, in the customer view, the Salesforce environment, the company environment, and um, you know, not, not uh, orchestrating, not driving that change, not putting their neck on the line, so to speak, and doing that in a way that's uh, structured. And I think that's that's a huge piece of what you talked about is what does that look like? You, you put a, breathe a lot of life into that. And that leads to then um, what's your goal as an orchestrator? It's a bit of a gut check in a way to be an orchestrator, to be a leader in the sales enablement space. You have to orchestrate, you have to work across silos and orchestrate, and then you have to help people achieve their goals. And this whole are you results focused or goal focused? Um, that was a great, I remember that still from episode six and that still rings true today. I had another conversation this morning about um, the, the idea of pursuing outcomes versus just getting stuff done. And it makes a lot of sense on the surface, but uh, it reveals itself as a bit of a paradox uh, to some folks. So those are my, my takeaways there. Um, Brian, what do you think of that? And I really appreciated your discussion today. I think you uh, you summarized it great. I mean, uh, there's uh, I think it's a, a, a brilliant piece of work, and I always always uh, appreciate being asked to to come on and share my views. So thanks for hosting me, you guys, and um, we can do this dance again whenever you're ready. Awesome. Well, we're we're gonna get some of the gang together again. So yeah, let's get panel, that gang back together. The panel band. number six, not episode six, Brian. Right? You yeah. mentioned episode six. So whatever whatever episode number that was, I'll take the onus of reach. I'll say, hey, King called you guys out, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> let's bring the the Eco Labs, Samir. Let's bring the oh, what company? 
a Solvay perspective, let's see if we can't recreate what happened in Atlanta and modernize it and see how that uh, plays out in a post-COVID world. I like, it. I like it. As always, everybody, uh, keep the comments coming. Uh, keep the discussion lively at orchestratesales.com. Make sure you check it out. There's always new features being released. And we'll see you on the next episode. Take care, everybody. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, please make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea of what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at orchestratesales.com. You can also connect with them online by going to orchestratesales.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn connection request. 